But some of the old Stonies will hold their heads high and carry with them to the grave the feeling that they have left their mark on many a church and on many a building, and that in the years to come there will be people to admire the work they have left behind them, as we of this generation respect and understand the work of the men of long ago. Seamus Murphy There are stone monuments in Ireland dating from the Stone Age. The great megalithic tombs of Carrakeel and Loch Crewe and the passage grave at Newgrange with its elaborate stone carvings of zigzags, lozenges and spiral patterns. This work was done with stone tools, pecking and punching on stone that had already been dressed. The tradition in stone was carried on by other masons since the Bronze and Iron Age when the dry stone walling techniques were used in the building of the great promontory stone forts of Ireland. Nodunta, of which Dunangus on the Aran Islands is a fine example. In the early 7th and in the 8th century, masons travelling to the continent brought back English and continental techniques and changed their styles. During the Viking period, stone churches built with mortar began to replace wooden buildings and bell houses were built that were later adapted as places of refuge, giving us the round towers familiar to many. The Normans brought new styles and new techniques, introducing Gothic architecture and it was their masons who built many of the fine castles and abbeys between the end of the 12th and the beginning of the 16th century. The 17th century ushered in the Renaissance period with its classical columns, porticos and balustrades, exemplified in that very fine building, the Royal Hospital in Kilmainham. Lovett Pierce and Richard Castles are the great architects of the Georgian period. Castles designed Carton House, Westport House and Powerscourt in Iskerry. The neoclassical period came in around the middle of the 18th century and Gandon's Custom House in Dublin is probably the most famous building of that period. Merrion Square, Fitzwilliam Square and the delightful town square in Borough County Offaly were also built around this time. A great period in church building began with the Catholic Emancipation in 1829. There was a Gothic revival and cathedrals and churches designed by Pugin and J.J. McCarthy were built throughout the country. The masons, the builders of the castles, abbeys, great houses, public buildings and squares remain anonymous. They were the lowliest of the trade. The hard work and the rough work fell to them, preparing and dressing stones for the carver and the cutter. In the early 1950s there was a stonemason in most Irish villages and many more in towns and cities. Some of these were indifferent craftsmen, others were master masons. The advent of the concrete block made their skills redundant and they became blocklayers and bricklayers. However, the craft has not died. Jim Kemi and Noel Malone, two Limerick masons, have been working on King John's Castle in Limerick for the past nine months. I don't think that, that stone came will fit. Well, when I finish with it, no, it'll certainly fit. Because uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll quite undersize if I finish. But is that a handier one over there, Jim? Where? Just over there, look. There's a handier stone. And there's no white horse in it like there's in that one. No, well, that's a holy picture, no. If the clock was worse on me putting in that one, I'd lose my bloody job. No. No, no I'll, I'll walk away on this one. This is a better one. But that's a lot of work, Jim. Ah, well, there's nothing with you. Um, my name is Jim Kemi. I'm a mason living and working in Limerick. That's my father and my grandfather. 
my great grandfather in fact all the chemists that we can know about have lived and worked in Limerick as, as masons um, my people have worked here in the city building churches and schools and houses indeed they have worked further afield, all, further afield also as well because my grandfather went to Russia in 1891 to work as a mason and bricklayer in building chimneys and furnaces. He was employed at the time by a local contractor, O'Mara's, the well-known uh, bacon factory still operating in the city. Uh, they were bringing their skills to, to the Russians uh, in that time, 1891. Now, there's a good tradition of stone masonry in Limerick City and in the surrounding areas, indeed, in Fines as well. Uh, what exactly is involved here? How many people and how many families? There's a very long history of stonework in Limerick and good tradesmen, not only stonemasons but also stonecutters. Um, you had uh, hundreds of families here, stonecutters and stonemasons, in the last century and in the earlier periods as well, especially after Catholic emancipation in the building of the churches and schools. But um, I suppose the reason for that is that stone is endemic, uh, as regards Limerick, our quarries here are well known. We had famous quarries here like Goff's Quarry, Hall's Quarry. All these quarries produce very good stone, limestone. So it's good stone to work, solid, durable. So naturally enough, with a local material such as stone, it was only natural you would have men to work and fashion the stone, stone cutters and stone masons, and they were very good craftsmen. There's a great lot of secrecy amongst stone masons. There is a great lot of secrecy, secret signs. Indeed, the most famous secret aspect of the trade of all is a secret language known as Beerlager Nasir. This was the Masons' own language. The Masons spoke amongst themselves, and Masons tramping about Ireland, working on big jobs, could converse amongst themselves, and outsiders would not know what they were saying. I, in fact, when I went to work myself as an apprentice Mason here in Limerick, I picked up many of the walls on the building site and also for my own father if you're working a bit too fast for your, your comrade or your mate on the job, he might say to you gab the loader, gab the loader would mean take it easy go more slowly and then you have other walls like a handyman he was known as a butter bean that was perhaps a term of abuse for people who would not be up to the mark as regards the standards of work, they would be called butter bean and a woman was known as a boo, and a landlady was known as Boo de Keen. And if somebody said to you, he would mean to come to the public house for a drink. So I was down the country and we were doing a job in it, and uh, it was an enjoyable job because we had a bit of crack on it and that. But uh, there was this fella come down to work with us, uh, a carver, and... Uh, he was doing some letters for he's going to do some letters on it and uh, he was a very odd type of fellow he when he came down he wouldn't uh, work until he got um, some cover over him so as nobody could see him working and if you looked in at him when he'd be during the day he'd stop immediately so uh, he wouldn't come down until friday there was something wrong with him or he couldn't come or something so he come down on Friday, and the job was, had to be open by Sunday. And uh, he come down on Friday, and he walked away till about half five. 
and it had one line of letters to cut, and he says, I'm doing no more, I want to go home. So they had to bring him up, away up the country, about 40 miles, I'd say, and uh, bring him home and stay the night and bring him back down the next morning to cut one line of letters, which would have taken him about an hour, I suppose, to do it. But I enjoyed that one, but it was a bit of crack because I thought your man was a bit peculiar, maybe. <laughs> you masons brave that courage have to execute each artist's plan. I pray give ear to what you hear and that from a mason's son. Let Babel's height not you affright or the temple that the heavens planned. That pile of state was made complete and built by the lads with their aprons on. My name is Noel Malone. Uh, I'm a Limerick stonemason. Uh, my father uh, before me was a stonemason, and his father before him. And uh, we come from a long line, I believe, of stonemasonry. Now, you, you have done a good number of jobs around the country, Noel. You've worked in different places. Where have you worked, in fact? Well, I've done almost two years in Bunratty Castle. I would appear to say I've done uh, practically the most of Bunratty Castle, I would say. Well, there were several more masons, stone masons, good men. And I went from there and I worked for four four and a half, five months maybe in the casino in Fairview in Dublin. I worked in uh, Castle Matrix in Ratkeel. I worked in uh, Nepal Castle, County Clare. And I'm at present working in King John's Castle here in Limerick. We're now working in the courtyard of King John's Castle. It's a very old historic building in Limerick City. It was built in 1210 and in the eight or nine hundred years since the castle was built. Uh, many generations of Limit Masons have worked here. Anybody looking at the walls here can see different styles of work. You can see pitch work, punch work, random rubble, and it, it all makes for a very good variety of Mason work. Yes, uh, you can also see like where the stone, the, the stone carver was. There's a lot of this came on in recently after uh, probably when some of the castle was knocked and damaged, uh, the, some of the carvers came along and done some work in the top section there. Yeah, up near the window there. Oh, yes, that's yeah. correct, correct. Uh, oh, there's lots, there's lots of different changes, like, in the different work. You could uh, actually point out the different types of work, different masons as the, the periods went on. masons can be seen on that wall as I look at correct, it now. Correct, correct. As well as the different periods. Yes. And of course the different stone. You have sandstone over there uh, near the door which is obviously quite a recent uh, addition to the castle and then you have other stones scattered throughout uh, the walls. Yeah, but the walls here are very thick. They're 12 feet thick in some places and the stones are very large stones. Uh, the, st the style of mason work in the original castle is not very attractive or very bright. It was built for strength rather than for attractiveness. But nevertheless, it is a very strong fortress because it was built as a military defence originally, and the people who built they built well. It has endured since uh, 1210, and that is the best tribute I can pay. 
I find a challenge of stoneworks very, very interesting. And I feel uh, I've done one very good job in Bunratty Castle. I had to uh, carble uh, the highest tower there. I had to carble it at one corner, right out over the roof, for a distance of about two or three feet on the main corner. And it was built without any cement. And I found that it was a great challenge to me at that particular time. Now, today, most people are working in blocks and they're working in bricks. Uh, there are not many people working in stone. What is the attraction of stone? Well, really, I, I, I think it's... I, I, I don't know, but it must be in you or else you, you get so, so engrossed when doing stone that when you do a stone job, you find... It's, you're after achieving something when you can stand back and look at what you're after doing. But it's not the same thing in blocks and bricks. They're actually, it's, it's already made for you in bricks and blocks. Like We don't consider very much like block laying so much of a trade in it, really. But we find that there is more of a challenge completely in stone. It's the shaping and the working in the stone. It's you have to the shape shaping, it. and more especially, a lot of people today they look at stonework and they say it's grand. But of course, those are people that doesn't understand stonework. I think personally, the most important thing today to look at stonework is the way you mix the stone and to bond it. What do you mean by mix the stone? Well, it means that uh, you can't put. Uh, a lot of stones together will say like block work. You must put a large stone and then build so many s smaller stones like ran at random in between maybe for about five feet and then you'd run another big stone and then you'd the same thing and then you reverse the procedure after we'll say about 18 inches high or 16 inches high whatever the case may be. If, there's, if it's coarse stonework or it's... Uh, random stonework. That's proper mixing. And it's, at the same time, it's bonding the walls from the outside to the inside. On Egypt's plains they took great pains to raise the pyramids so high Who had made it is not said Nor can they tell the reason why how they have stood before the flood For to deny it no man can But this they may sincerely say They were built by the lads with their aprons on Well, I've worked in uh, a lot of fair share of stone I've done uh, Galway granite I've done uh, Wicklow granite. I've worked in Portland stone in Dublin and the casino, which is a very soft stone. But uh, the granite, I find that when you cut granite, at least whatever you want to make out of the block of stone, you will make it because it won't break in you. But uh, limestone, which we do a lot of here in Limerick, uh, you've got to be very careful because you could just about have it finished and it could snap. There could be what we call 
a white horse in it, a streak of lime through it, and it could just break there, you know. Now, you've worked in 15th century abbeys and on 15th century castles and so on. Over a long period, does there come a time when you're working in one of these old buildings where at some stage you feel that you know the people who worked there previously, two or three hundred years previously? Well, you really, you really get interested, very much so, that you find that even at that period, I don't know what kind of engineers or what was there, but I do know when I did work in Bunratty Castle and several other places that I found that they were very, very well with it at that time. That uh, they used at that time more so uh, borrowed lights. In other words, the, 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 slit, the slit in a wall that they would use, we'll say, for three or four feet high, with three inches, we'll say, wide. The light they could get through, that's just that one slit, into one room, and they could take that light from that room into another room by using these walls, and they'd whitewash the walls for to cast the light through. I thought it was ingenious, anyway, for what I had seen. The older churches and uh, other buildings are invariably hammer-dressed. That's the surface dressing technique used by the masons with iron hammers. The surface is hammered back. And uh, I don't think people nowadays appreciate just how precise and fine the work on these, some of these very early churches was, because they weathered for over a thousand years, and naturally that has taken the, the fine edge of the finish. But uh, beautifully precisely cut joints and beautifully finished surfaces, uh, tremendous skill has gone into them. Then in the 12th century, uh, you get a complete change, you get uh, new tools and new techniques, and the masonry of the later 12th century, the 13th century, and the early 14th century is always axed. It's always dressed back with a mason's axe. And this is a, a technique you find all over Western Europe. It supplants and displaces the Irish tradition of handling stone. Then you get a new, new techniques again coming in in the 14th century. Um, there's one place uh, in County Limerick where... Uh, there's work of the end of the 14th century, the beginning of the 15th century, in a cloister. Uh, I think it's a Skeeton. And there you can see uh, an old mason and a young mason working side by side. There are two different techniques. The old technique of the 13th century and the new technique coming in at the beginning of the 15th century in the dressing of the stone. And you can see the different mason's marks uh, indicating uh, the work done by each man. The, the Freemasons, uh, as we know them today... Freemason lodges, and also the masons who worked as stone masons. Well, both groups have a common ancestry, insofar as um, the Freemasons have common words and indeed um, symbolism that you find on building sites used by masons. For instance, now the compass and square. This is very familiar to Freemasons. The secrecy and the secret words, passwords, and so on, and also the words they use to describe the officers of the Freemason Lodges, such as Master, Warden, and the word Tyler. And I'd say that, that they don't come from the same root originally, but around uh, 1717, in the early 18th century, you had a division there insofar as the journeyman Masons went their own way and the Lodges were exclusively Lodges of the Master Masons. And later on, 
these Freemason lodges broadened out to encompass other merchants and employers from other industries as well. But also, I suppose, the most important item of all was the apron. Um, Masons used aprons in their everyday work up to recent times. As you know, I believe, from what I've read, that Freemasons still use aprons in their societies, and they also use ceremonial trowels as well. And you Masons bright take no delight in what they call Freemasonry, for with their mock signs, their squares and lines, or any of their damned mystery. For it's well they know it was by you that all their wondrous works were done. They'd pledge their souls to steal our trowels and mock us with their silk aprons on. Time and stone is a great leveller. Stone is the best leveller of all because uh, it's been said that masons don't need monuments when they die. If you look around you, you'll see their monuments. And one is always conscious in building stone that your job will be a scene, it'll be admired long after you're dead and gone. And that is the significance of stone. People who build in stone were craftsmen and artists in their own right, like writers and uh, painters, artists and so on. Well, stonemasons are also craftsmen, and their expression, aspirations of life, can be seen in their work all around you. The stonies of the Barnaquilla, Glen Cullen district, on the side of the Dublin mountains, have a tradition in working stone that cannot be equal in Ireland. Here, for generations, McCabe's, Doyle's, Rose, Cannons, McCluskey's and Cain's have quarried, cut, carved and built. Within the trade, the stonecutter enjoyed a higher status than the mason and there were frequent disputes on the demarcation of work. Up until quite recently, they even had their own trade union. However, today things have changed. Electric saws, the industrial diamond and drills have done to the stonecutter what the concrete block has done to the mason. Peter and Arthur McCabe are two stonecutters working granite in Murphy's Yard in Sandyford for a major renovation project on the Bank of Ireland. There are two young apprentices working with them. The stone we're working at the moment, it's County Wicklow. And the old stone in the Bank of Ireland was originally County Wicklow granite. And it has to be replaced in County Wicklow granite. So, uh, well, for me, for, Peter, for myself, Peter McCann, I don't fancy working with low granite because it's, I don't think it's a, a good granite. It's not a good granite to work. It looks all right when it is worked, but anything but a good granite. The best granite to dress at the moment, I make a good job of it, is Barnacolia granite. And a nicer granite and finished. Finishes up better. What's the difference between Barnacilla granite well, and Wicklow granite? There is a difference. Wicklow granite is a very close granite. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of flint flint in it now. And it's very hard on tools. You know, very hard on tools to work on. You have to keep them sharp, very constantly sharpened. And on the Barnacilla granite you could 
you just go once a day, once per day to the forge to forge your tools for sharpening. And you get a whole day's work out of your kit. With Wicklow you won't. Do you sharpen your own tools? We sharpen our own tools. Do you make your own tools? Yes. Do you? Yes. We we get the uh, we get the steel, the bus uh, Mr. Murphy, he supplies the steel to us. And we make our own to the shape we want them. Inch, two inches, four inch, what they call uh, the four inch wanna be a chisel now. And then you have also you make them out to a pint, you pint what they call punches. That's for taking the waste off of the stone before you start to clean it off. As it comes from the either a machine or the quarry, you'll have to use those punches. Then you use the uh, inch and a half chisel for putting on what they call drafting round, you see. Get your stone completely out of twist, straight, for walking off your face. Then you bolt it off with the three inch one, or the four inch one. And then you can tool it after that. Have you ever worked in any other stone besides granite? Oh yes, I worked, I worked Portland. And uh, Yorkshire, Darleydale, Redstone. Done some of that. Well, they're a different, they're, they're the same tool, really. But uh, they have to be very, very sharp. And you use a wooden mallet. For working uh, Portland, Yorkshire, any soft stone. Now, you've worked, in fact, all over the country. I have. I've worked in St. Clarence College on limestone. The first time I ever struck limestone. Found it very difficult at the start. But eventually, with the old people that were there, the old men that were there, some of them over 70 years of age, they was working at it. And they put us in on it. They showed us how to do it. And it was all got out in the rough from the quarry. No machine. And... We used to drive into the uh, pit very, very hard, you know, the limestone. We used to break the tools. We even broke the steel across in our hand that would be holding some of the pints uh, with the force that we were hitting it. You see, limestone is a stone that you have to stand up, get right up on it with the pint of the tool and pick it down to a section of what you want. And if you don't do that, you will never walk it. You see, it's for all the world like a windstorm. And it, it jingles, it, it sounds like, when you're hitting it, it sounds like beating a, a hammer off an anvil or something, or a gear there. Galway, St. Mary's, there was a lot of rustic work on that, which was pitch-faced answer. And there was a, it was mixed with limestone and Galway granite. Now, Galway granite is a red granite. Very hard red granite. But... Uh, it's, it can be worked, but difficult. You want to be very careful on what, what you'll be doing, the way you would be working. But pitch very well, and it would work, but it'll take a long time. What do that's, you mean by pitch very well now? now? Well, if you've got a piece with waste on it, see, that's so. Yes. You come at it with a pitcher. What we call a pitcher, it's a, it's a heavy blunt tool that you use. Yes. For this sort of. And you're putting a lawyer, lining it up there, you see, and you're pitching it for to uh, maybe get a draft on it or straighten it up. You have to get your line on it. And it'll just go right in like a sheet of paper. Oh, Tumna. And uh, it was limestone too. I went from there to Northern Ireland, anyhow. Doing a lot of memorials there. There was all, all memorial books. 
a lot of limestone for do you know that memorial up there at the back of the the Rotunda Hospital it's a war memorial too it's down in the ground like the one commemorating 1916 Rising yeah. I think yeah. it is. Yes. I yeah. think it is. In, in the, the back of the rotunda there. Yes, in Parnell Square. Yeah. Oh, we it's don't in a lot the Garden of Remembrance. Garden, Garden of Remembrance. Yeah. Oh, that's it, yeah. Done all that around. The Astler all around it, the walls all around it. The Astler inside and the plinth around the uh, pond, you know, the crowd, the figure down in the water. All that. That was, uh, what the, that was Tullamore. Uh, no, not Tullamore. What do you call what the hell is the name of that limestone quarry we had in? Well, I know it's, it's limestone anyway, and it comes from around Tullamore. Eden Jerry. My name is Timmy Doyle. It was the same, the two of us were. We were just going to message my mother, and uh, we decided we'd come up to the yard to see if there was any jobs going on at all, you know, just something to keep us off the roads. And uh, we came in, and he went over to the boss and the boss told us he'd take us on as apprentices so it was a bit of luck like after all we, were, we weren't expecting to, be, uh, to save our time up here just clean up and cleaning up the yard or something like that but it was handy you know i was going to be a carpenter or mechanic but when i found out that i could be a stone cutter i didn't want to be any of them just come up and do a stone cutter it's much better at the moment uh, young mccomiskey isn't very much interested in it because he I'll tell you one thing he doesn't do, doesn't do very well. When he showed, he'd sort of tell you, well, he gives you the impression that he knows. He gives you the impression that he doesn't want to be told. And, of course, he's only young. He's a lot to learn in regards to uh, working at Stonecutting or working with aged people. Now, for me, myself, that's Peter McCabe. I'm on the retirement age, practically. And uh, Arthur here is practically on the way out, so he should sort of, uh, in other words, he should be a little bit more respectful. A continuity of development in sculpture in Ireland is not as easily discernible as it is, say, in Italy or in France. There is Celtic art with roots in the prehistoric stone monuments and a vague line of continuity to the carvings and Celtic crosses of the early Christian period. The golden age of Irish figure carving is undoubtedly from the beginning of the 13th to the end of the 16th century. With its great wealth and variety of human figures carved on tombs, churches and abbey walls. After that, there is the great silence of the centuries, broken only by the chisel of an architectural or monumental carver. Today's sculptors acknowledge their debt to the monumental men of the past, George Laffin and his son Justin, are two sculptors who work in stone. I'm very interested in animal forms and uh, other you know, human forms, but uh, I have worked abstract as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to work, um, when I work uh, a figure or an animal or that, I tend to take it into a, another world, into, the, into an abstract world, but, but keep it in the animal form. So it, it's. The, the animal form or the human form is a, a thing which I can hang something else on, hang, a, you know, a nice design or an abstraction on, you know. And it, it comes across very well this way because people can recognise instantly what it is. There's no trouble about asking what it is. You know, they know that, you know. And then, you know, they're looking at something else as well, you know, which I think is very important, you know, because that 
that a stone has to remain a stone no matter what it is. You know, it, it, you know, a lot of sculptors will tend to take it too far into the, the imagery, to take it literally. You know, where I, I still like to have the quality of stone there. I think that's very important. You know. What tradition do you see yourself belonging to? An Irish tradition, basically. Something that's been carried on in this country for thousands of years. And today, you know, I mean, it's just taking on the new aspects. Yet Seamus Murphy says in his book that the tradition of stone carving was in fact brought in by English carvers who came in. Well, that would be true, that would be true, all right. I mean, in, in the... What would you call it? The, the architectural work that he was yeah, concerned yeah, with, you know, yeah. mouldings and capitals and things like that. Building but um, we must remember that they started cutting stone in Newgrange and probably before it, um, and there's been a direct and continuous line of stone cutting in this country in some simple ways, even if it was only making a gatepost or making a, a commemorative yeah. stone or tombstone. Uh, for instance, take the Ohm stones and the standing stones. These things had to be hacked and cut. Um, you get this tradition right up into the 16th century. If you go into St. Canis's Cathedral in Kilkenny or Jur Point, many of these sites, this is long before the uh, English uh, tradition that Seamus was talking about arrived here. Although a lot of influences were coming in from abroad by this time, you know, we were getting Gothic influence and uh, Romanesque stuff coming in. But that's underneath it all was an a, a easily identifiable Celtic tradition, um, mainly because the, the Celtic ornament is based on the scroll and everywhere in Irish work you'll find the scroll creeping in somehow or other. Uh, it's a thing that I've been bringing to mind in my own work and developing it strongly. Justin has been doing the same in his. Uh, this is basic to Celtic work, to Celtic thinking and um, we were never we never really took over the Greek ideals here. Uh, we got them second-hand. Well, it was a second-hand culture always coming into us, being superimposed upon our own. On a yearly basis, how many would you turn out? Well, last year I turned out two fair-sized stones, two pretty big stones, and I reckon that was good going. One of them occupied me for about six months, the other for about four. And uh, December's turning out to be a rest month because <laughs> the light is bad and the weather is bad. We work out of doors all the time, so... Um, we're dependent on light and weather. Uh, we don't lose a lot of time owing to weather, but... Um, well, what's your, some kind of shelter? I have a lean-to out there that you can get under. But uh, light is important. The summer months are beautiful because you can work late. Um, actually, I finished that Mora Nagiak at 10.30 on the 21st of June in the evening, so... I was pretty late to be working. It's very important in this country because it's a very soft light, it's a very subtle light, and that gives you a different, different kind of sculpture than, say, the Greek sculpture, which tends to suit a very harsh light and strong shadows. You know, where most um, Asian or Oriental, even sort of Mexican art, would would would, would be an art for this very strong light. Where the, the light in this country isn't. It's a very subtle kind of light. You know, mm -hmm. soft, yeah, diffused light. You know? Which which gives us a completely different aspect uh, in stone carving, and it's one that's been neglected because we've been tend to be looking towards the rest of Europe and towards Greece and places where we have a thing here which is is practically unique. I think. 
The yard is small here, but I suppose it's, it's, it suits your purpose. Uh, uh, well, I'm pretty well sheltered from the wind, which is an right. important thing, yes. and I have a lean-to to get under in the uh, bad weather. Uh, we block the stone up on these bankers here, heavy blocks of wood and concrete blocks, um, and just work away. Yes, these are these are these look like railway sleepers or something. Yes, like that. they, is are, that what they, they are? are. in fact, yes, yeah, they're, they're very good. Railway sleepers. Um, yeah. The idea of having wood under the stone is it stops vibrations going down through. If you had it on concrete blocks or other stone, you'd get a lot of heavy vibrations where the wood absorbs it, and it's safe to work on it, easy to handle. Mm. Well, this is the the start of a block of stone, the start of a piece of work. It's the rough punching that's necessary to clear away what you don't want and develop your form out of. And once the, the form has started to show, uh, the finer tools are used and the temper gets slower, the, the work is more gradual and easy. And there's not so many sore thumbs. <laughs> what type of stone is this you're working on this here This is uh, Kilkenny limestone again, a fairly hard piece of stone full of uh, rich fossils, big white fossils in it, which show up very well when it's polished against the hard black. Uh, I'm Tina Cusson and I'm working here at the very moment a piece, a small piece of white marble. It's only um, work to keep my hand in because it's the middle of winter and I'm not starting anything new until the light comes back in the spring. It's hard to work stone in artificial light indoors because the dust the dust gets into your lungs and you gets into your hair and makes you feel uncomfortable. And then if you wait a while in about March, when the weather gets bright again, you can go out and you feel great to be out working out of doors. That's one advantage of stonework, that it gets you outside, since it's, it's, too, it's an unhappy job to be doing inside, though you can do it. I was down the quarry lately buying a bit of stone in a quarry in Three Castles from Mr Mullins, and it was a... A pouring wet day and we drove up in the mud and he was standing down there in the mud and they were drilling the stone to preparing to cut it in the mud. And the whole thing was so depressing because the place is lovely in the spring, you see. But because the stone is more in demand now, he had to keep on working in the wintertime, in the wet days. Whereas before he'd only have worked in the fine days. What stones do you work in, cleaner? Well, I like limestone because limestone comes true. And it won't, you won't find a flaw in it. And if you find a flaw in a stone, as I knew to my cost, where I was out in an old house lately, picked up a bit of Portland stone, worked on it, and spent hours trying to get around the shells. The Portland stone was laid down on a beach. It was laid down on a beach, you see, long ago. And all, it's all shells, very soft, and all shells. And you come to a shell, and you hit the shell, and the shell hops out, and you're left with a hole. Now, limestone was laid down on a beach, but under greater pressure. And so the shells are mostly only little white specks. Now, the Three Castles quarry has very little shells. And it must be laid down under a lot of pressure. And um, we were very pleased with that quarry. That's now the Carlo Kilkenny area has the best limestone for figure carving. There's good limestone for figure carving in Clare too. But you want a close stone. Then the finest stone, I think, but it's very hard in the tools, is the granite in Wicklow and uh, Ballycorris and Ballynockin around Dublin. That is very slow to work. Of the works you have done in stone now, which is your favourite? I think I like one I did lately. I did a little um, uh, mother and child in, on Waterveen, and it's a um, small little limestone figure that stands about eight inches high, and I was doing it into a circle, and I was very pleased with that, because 
in the, the stone is hard, but I was able to give it the softness that I wanted to put into it. And the head of the mother is turned to the child. Now, when you come to the stone, when you come to finishing, if you've got what we call an undercut, you have to be very careful because it will fly off on you if you're not careful. And that's where the good stone comes in. Anyone can hit the rough bits off, but it's the finishing you want the good stone so that it will go exactly the way you want it. And that if you're working an undercut and you know you'll work down the grain of the stone for an undercut or the way it's going anyway, but if you hit it wrong, it'll fly. So that if you have a bad stone, you'll come a little bit of shell or some slight shake or flaw and stone will go off on you and then you'll be left with maybe your design ruined. So I think it's very important to get a good stone in the beginning. Just as time and the machine caught up with the mason and the stonecutter, so also the work of the monumental carver has changed. Saws are used to cut, drills to carve, and the lettering is sandblasted. In the monumental yard, the change is more extreme, in fact. The native Irish stones, granite and limestone, traditionally used for headstones, are now out of favour. And a black South African granite is widely used. The Feelys of Boyle, County Roscommon, have quarried and carved stone for nine generations. Barry Feely. I just came in at the tail end of the old style of working. We got the stone in rough lumps from pottery. Stone was put up on the banker and you had to put uh, a straight edge on it just an edge about two inches along the shortest part of the stone. We called it a draft. And you put an edge on that then and you went down to the other end of the stone and you sighted it to take it out a twist. And you put another draft on the other end and then you marked your two square lines on each edge of the stone. Then you had your hammer and chisel and you punched off the rough stone and uh, as you got down there what you wanted to be the finished surface then you had to get a finer chisel and get your mallet and punch and pick it down as fine as possible and then we had such a, uh, an instrument called the diamond hammer which was used but it, it wasn't altogether regarded as being a very craftsman-like uh, instrument because uh, if you hit too hard with it, you stunned the stone and when the stone was polished afterwards, these stun marks would show up where the diamond hammer worked it. And when you had that face levelled off then, you went out and you got your bit of coal and your bit of green grass. Oh, well, when you started at those times, if you broke a stone or there was anything wrong, well you had to pay the penalty, but it was little ways over it like that. You have modern glues and things now, but those times you had to, um, well, you could do old tricks, you could maybe put a little bit of bread in it and hope that the boards wouldn't be around before you the next morning, and you could um, get a hot tool out of the forge and you could heat it and apply a bit of rosin, which none of these things was really successful to towards what they have today, but... Another thing, you never left the job that you completed, you never left the sun shining on it, because it always brought out the smallest little mistakes that there possibly be. And you'd always have to maybe go back on it, but you'd never let the sun get too far around to show up any of your dirty work or anything, you know. The men who have gone before us have left us a heritage to be proud of, and we feel our own contribution has been for the good, with hammer, mallet and chisel, 
we have shaped and fashioned rough boulders. We often curse our material, and often we speak to it kindly. We have to come to terms with it in order to master it, and it has a way of dictating to us sometimes, and then the struggle begins. Seamus Murphy <laughs>